Good evening. During our time together, I want to call attention to 2 Peter chapter 3. There are two questions we're going to bring up. The answers are precisely given in this passage, 2 Peter chapter 3. Here are two questions, and they have to do with the end of this present world. What is God waiting for? And the second question, what are we waiting for? I want to start by reading 2 Peter 3, 1 through 13. I encourage you to have your Bible open as I read. Look at the page in front of me. Let's read along 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we are raising two questions about this, and you may already have observed in what we've read in 2 Peter 3, the answers. The first question, what is God waiting for? The second question, what are we waiting for? Here's the context. I spoke to some of this earlier today in the 1030 live stream. Jude and Peter both wrote to put Christians on alert that there were some ungodly men, false teachers, 
who were not only wrong in what they were saying, they were selfish and greedy, corrupt. According to this, in chapter 3, they were mockers. They were promoting the lie that nothing in the future would change. Specifically, as they heard the apostles and Christians talk about the second coming of Christ, they were saying, this is not going to happen. It will not happen. God cannot intervene. Peter gives the Christians he was writing to the answer to these mockers. Peter says God can intervene. We know that because God has intervened. See, there was something forgotten, willfully, or overlooked. Here's the argument in verses 5 through 7. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. The mockers now deliberately overlooked something. That the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Never allege that God can't do what he has said he will do and that he has already demonstrated that he can do. God has proved himself faithful over and over. There is a promise of the coming of Christ. It will happen like a thief in the night. We don't know when, but it will happen. God has said he will do it. We know he can do it. That leads to our first question. What is God waiting for? And Peter answers in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is waiting for sinners to repent. Now, don't play around with that. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you've got all this time. Remember, the end will come like a thief in the night, and the passage says there will be God's wrath against the ungodly. But the reason we are still here on earth now is God is long-suffering. His slowness, as perceived by men, is a product of his mercy, but it won't go on forever. Take advantage of it now. Be diligent to be found by him without spot and blemish through the blood of Christ. God is waiting. Peter gives the reason as his long-suffering is mercy. Second question, what are we waiting for? Listen for the answer, please. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, 
we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This puts before us, in a dramatic way, what we know to be so from many other New Testament passages. Jesus will come and there will be an end. What will that involve? Just listen to Peter in this passage. All these things are thus to be dissolved. The day of God, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. This speaks with transparency about the end of this material universe. And remember the phrase Peter used in the early part of the chapter, the promise of his coming. Mockers were saying no. Peter argues for yes. So what are Christians waiting for? The second coming of Christ. I want to concentrate on that phrase that troubles some people. New heavens and a new earth. The expression is used in the Old Testament in Isaiah, in Isaiah 65 and 66, where the prophet is describing something that had no previous existence. He's talking about the age of the Messiah's reign, the kingdom of Christ. Isaiah the prophet looking forward, speaking of all that, something that had no previous existence. We are familiar with New Testament, new covenant, new and living way, new life in Christ. Isaiah uses a figurative expression to capture what would come in the future through Christ. He isn't talking about a literal earth or a literal heaven. He's using symbolic, figurative language to describe something that would happen when Messiah came that had no previous existence, therefore new. While Peter uses the same figurative expression, he obviously isn't talking about the same thing as Isaiah, because this would be and is now in the future what Christians are waiting for. And again, it isn't literal. Peter isn't saying there will be a new heaven and new earth in the literal sense. How do we know that? In this context, he has just said the literal earth will be destroyed. That's our signal, our indication that the phrase isn't to be understood literally. Peter is talking about the eternal place where Christians dwell with God in heaven. The present heavens and earth will go out of existence. We are waiting for a new place, new to us, where God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit dwell. Now, we've studied the passage in context. Still, I think there's something we need to bring up. It can be valuable to observe what isn't in this passage about the second coming. There is nothing here about Jesus coming to earth to reign here. The new heavens and new earth will follow the destruction of the present heavens and earth. Nothing here about Jesus coming to stay here with us in a restored earth for a thousand years. 
There is nothing here about the destruction of Jerusalem that we know occurred in 70 A.D. And we must understand 2 Peter 3 in keeping with everything else the New Testament says about Jesus' coming, the day of judgment, the promise of heaven, and the reality of everlasting punishment for the ungodly. Let's pause here and think about what the New Testament says about heaven. You probably know the passages. We're going to review them briefly. John 14, 1 through 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, and where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Peter is writing to Christians about our hope, and that's where he says, We have a living hope to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you remember Matthew 6, 19 to 20, where Jesus made the clear distinction between heaven and earth? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I know there is some difficulty when finite minds attempt to take in what the Bible says about the resurrection of the body in 1 Corinthians 15, or to perfectly picture in your mind what heaven will be like. You know what enters in here? Our unreserved trust in God. It will be everything God intends it to be to bless his people forever perfectly. If I believe that about God, I must trust in him. And if my trust is informed and has depth and maturity, any imperfection in my conception of end times and eternity is dissolved in my trust in God. When someone says, I'm not sure how this is all going to work out, exactly what does this mean, and how will this all work? I am not able to satisfy their curiosity. I certainly can't speak to what hasn't been revealed in Scripture. What I can speak to with the full force of Scripture is what is written. And underneath all that, God is faithful. And He has promised what will be perfect for his people. No disappointment, no tears, no pain, no sin forever. That's our hope. That's our hope. And Jesus died to provide that hope for his disciples. Now, where is Peter's emphasis? Where does he take this? If he doesn't give you all the details or answer all your questions, where is Peter's emphasis? What is the takeaway? Listen again. Underline verse 11, please. 
Here's the impact this truth ought to have on us. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Truth given by God always goes practical and personal if properly used. Since these things are certain to come to pass, my focus must be on the kind of person I should be. This truth motivates a life of holiness, a life of godliness. This is about how we live in response to Jesus Christ. Action, attitude, reaction, spiritual growth. Look at the last verse in the chapter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't want us to stop at verse 13 to speculate and beg for details. He wants us to know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The earth will be no more. We will stand before God in judgment, and the faithful will then be with God forever. Since all these things are going to happen, what sort of people ought we to be? That's the emphasis in Second Peter chapter 3. With all that in mind, I want us now to listen again to the entire text. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? 
But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Remember, we started with two questions. What is God waiting for? People to repent. What are we waiting for? The promise of his coming, which motivates us to stop and consider what sort of people we ought to be. One more passage that relates to all of this, and then the lesson is yours. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Paul said, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what I wanted to do during this sermon, encourage us with these words. Thank you for listening.